Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm celebrating four years of sobriety, and one of the main questions that inspired me to do all of this research on addiction was, why me? I wanted to understand why this happened to me and not other people. So in this episode, I'm explaining seven reasons why I think I developed a problem with alcohol. So let's dig in. When I quit drinking, I needed to understand why this happened to me and if it was something that I let happen or if it happened because I was a weak-willed loser. 
I see addiction as a collection of risk and resilience factors. And the more risk factors that you have, the more likely you will struggle with addiction. Resilience factors can protect someone from developing an addiction, even if their lifestyle or life experiences make them vulnerable. I've spent a lot of time analyzing my own drinking, so here are seven risk factors that aligned in my life that made it very easy for me to develop a problem. Number one, I had no coping skills and I have very intense emotions. We don't all feel emotions the same way. Some people have more intense emotions than others. And if that sounds like you, then check out episode 98. In that episode, I told a story of a woman who lost her favorite pen and became depressed for days, but then she saw an ad for a big sale on shoes and got so excited that she immediately got in her car and drove three hours to the sale. On the other extreme, a man was told that his cancer was in remission and he was somewhat happy for about a day and then he went back to neutral. If you think about these two people, the woman is going to have a much more challenging life because of her extreme emotions and impulsive behavior. She doesn't act this way because she's weak, although it's easy to make that judgment. She just has more intense emotions than most people do. I have very intense emotions too, although not that intense, thankfully. And research has found that the intensity of the emotion determines how we will deal with it. So if the emotion is very intense, people generally go for negative coping skills to make it go away. If you feel intense emotions more often, then you can see how the cycle would go. I did not have positive coping skills modeled for me as a child, like most of us, I'm sure. Coping skills and emotional intelligence are thankfully more important now, and we're more aware of them as a society, but most of us were missing emotional education growing up. Because I didn't have coping skills, I didn't know what to do about anything, and I would get very upset and overwhelmed. I was bullied at school, and I hated my dad, so being at school sucked, and being at home sucked too. I never had anywhere that I felt safe and calm as a child. I was so angry every day, so when anything bad happened, I just couldn't take it. If you don't know how to deal with anything yourself, then you start searching for external things to solve your problems, like the approval of others, achievement, alcohol, food, restricting food, self-harm, drugs, impulse buying, sex, and more. I started trying to use external things to cope when I was 13. And there's a strong connection between drinking to cope and developing a problem later in life. A study published in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology in 2003 followed 412 depressed patients over a 10-year period. They looked at how much they drank to cope and their overall alcohol consumption was measured at an initial screening and then at one, four, and 10-year follow-ups. 15% of the participants who did not drink to cope developed a problem with alcohol later in life compared to 43% of people who drank to cope. So drinking to cope makes it way more likely that you will develop a problem with alcohol. And that is exactly what I was doing. Number two, I observed bad drinking. 
I never saw people doing the romanticized version of drinking where it was classy and cool. I only saw bad and sad drinking. I observed my mom drinking to cope with her marriage. And when I went to grad school for the first time, I learned that when people are stressed, you drink and your stress goes away. I saw people drinking tequila out of red cups at 2 p.m. in the school to cope with stress or bad news, and it was normal. There was no judgment from anyone, and they weren't trying to hide it. All of these observations had an impact on me. I learned that drinking helps. What we observe about drinking has a big impact on our own drinking later on. Number three, alcohol felt really good for me. This was one of the first things that I got excited about when I started researching addiction. Alcohol doesn't feel the same for everyone. You know how some people leave half a drink behind? That is not because they're stronger than you. It's because alcohol is meh for them. We can't understand them because alcohol is really rewarding for us. Listen to episode 11 for more. But when we drink, it releases endorphins, which feel good. These endorphins then trigger the release of dopamine, but not everyone releases the same amount of endorphins, and some people release a ton. If alcohol feels more pleasurable for you, then you're more likely to drink it. And plus, trauma can change the brain and make alcohol and drugs feel more rewarding. I've had trauma in my life, and obviously I can't say if that changed my brain or not, but it probably did. Number four, my body can process alcohol very well. One of the main genetic components that goes into addiction is how well you process alcohol. And I process it really well, unfortunately. I can get super drunk and 99% of the time I'll be ready to drink again by the next afternoon. I have never had a multiple day hangover. If you've had multiple day hangovers, then you don't process alcohol as well, so it makes you feel sicker longer. And depending on your combination of risk and resilience factors, this can make you either less likely to drink at all, or if you have a lot of risk factors, it can make you more likely to become a binge drinker, not a daily drinker. Since I processed alcohol so well, I became a daily drinker because I could physically handle that. And the more you drink, the more chances alcohol has to change your brain and reinforce addiction. Number five, I had a high stress life, but my thinking was very toxic. One of the main reasons that I drank was to deal with stress. I had a high stress life because of the jobs that I had, but also it was because how I thought about my jobs. The way we think about our life is a main part of the problem. I would get heated about things easily and think that everyone was out to get me. I couldn't brush anything off, so I created a lot of unnecessary stress for myself. I had no boundaries, so I tolerated anything, but inside it made me resentful and angry. I was very vulnerable to what other people did, and what they did was always about how they didn't like me or wanted to hurt me in some way. And this made me drink at people all the time. Number six, my husband thought that my drinking was normal. People will often ask me what my husband thought of my drinking. He grew up watching drinkers, so he thought that the way I drank was normal. He thought that's just what adults do. 
It took him a long time to realize that it wasn't actually normal. And because he thought my drinking was normal, I never had to hide it. And he never suggested that I cut back or stop. So that made it harder to quit because I could use him as an excuse. Your friends, family, and especially your partner all influence how you drink. This doesn't mean it's their fault, but they make it easier or harder to drink the way that we do. And they either allow us to make excuses or they don't. My brother's wife doesn't like alcohol. She actually asks for her drinks to be made weak when she goes out. This would make it really hard for my brother to start drinking heavily at home. It's still possible, even if your partner doesn't like it and complains about it though, because in the end we are responsible for ourselves and wanting to change, but your partner does have an influence on how easy it is for you to drink. And number seven, bad things happen to me. I can identify two key moments during my seven years of drinking that really accelerated things. And without those, I may have continued down the gray area drinking path for a long time where my drinking was bad and I had consequences, but the consequences weren't bad enough to quit. The first was when I had just started drinking and that professor told me, no one has any confidence that you will succeed. And if you don't know that story, go back and listen to my episode about my career journey. When that happened, I started drinking an entire bottle of wine by myself during the day with no food every single day to cope. And I had just started drinking six months before that, so an entire bottle was a lot. The second moment was towards the end of my drinking. I quit teaching and went back to work in biotech because I blamed teaching for my drinking, and it did actually help a little bit. I drink less during the week, although I still drink daily. Biotech isn't fast-paced and chaotic like teaching is. But then something happened in my life, something that I don't want to share, and I just could not handle it. It is on the list of worst things to ever happen to me, and the situation went on for months and months and months. The only way I knew how to deal with anything was by getting drunk. And I truly believed that when I felt too overwhelmed to function, drinking alcohol would bring down the overwhelm enough so I could deal with the situation. I drank every day and I drank more than ever. And I did that for months and months and months because like I said, the situation was ongoing. It wasn't an isolated incident. And this is when severe consequences began showing up in my life. I developed anxiety. I would keep myself awake all night to punish myself for not controlling how much I drink. And my depression turned into suicidal thoughts. This second key moment was what pushed me from a gray area problem drinker who could have stayed that way for years into a full-blown addiction. I needed alcohol. I don't feel grateful for what happened because it sucked and it permanently impacted my life, but I do feel grateful that my timeline was accelerated so I could get out sooner and enjoy the rest of my life. There are so many people many of them in my community who are right on the line where their drinking is bad, but it's not bad enough. And I was there too, but reflecting back on it, my drinking was still really bad. I was miserable, but I still had the ability to make excuses. Like I've never missed work because of a hangover. At least I don't drink in the morning. 
except for brunch at 11 a.m. on the weekends, but brunch doesn't count, right? And my favorite excuse, but I don't have any consequences. I had a lot of them, but they were somewhat manageable, so that means they didn't count in my mind. Have you ever had a bad relationship where you're constantly making excuses for this person that treats you horribly? And then you finally get out and you're like, why did I stay for so long? Why didn't I realize this person sucked? And it's the same thing with alcohol. We make all of these excuses and we're only tricking ourselves. If you're stuck in this loop where your drinking is bad, but not that bad, then you could either wait for the consequences to get worse because they've already been building in the background. You just keep excusing them. You could wait for one of those key moments to accelerate your drinking so it gets so bad that you can't ignore it anymore. Or you could take the third door. You could trust me and every other sober person that tells you sober is better. You could start showing up for yourself and doing the work, not just when you have stuff going on, but all the time consistently. You could start getting some support whether that's therapy, an online community like mine, AA, or coaching. You could acknowledge that just because your drinking isn't that bad doesn't mean it's good. So I hope this episode has helped you reflect on the vulnerabilities that you had that made you more likely to struggle with alcohol and that this reflection gets you closer to accepting that alcohol has got to go. I mean, seriously, what has it ever really done for you? And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment and leave my podcast five stars and write a review. It helps get my show in front of more people who need this information. Thank you. Happy four years to me. And I will talk to you next week. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.